1: We
2: are spiritual beings having a human experience. This is
1: UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world.
2: Empower yourself and get inspired to build the life of your dreams. Welcome to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James, Hello
0: and welcome to our show. I'm Dr. Dravon James and this is Everyday Peace. I'm super excited to be here with you today as we explore the concept of living a life of peace every day. Peace defined as wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, totality. Now, I don't know about you. But every time I give that definition that we use as our working definition of peace in the everyday peace philosophy, I feel soothed and calmed. And I just feel like everything's right now okay. Even if it doesn't look like it, it really is. Peace is available to us right now. And so on this program, we talk about the philosophy of everyday peace as a system for us to achieve our next level of greatness we bring on the guests and the topics that highlight opportunities for us to learn and for us to grow and to entertain us because that's important on this life's journey last week we had two amazing guests we that joined us last week and if you have not gone back and listened to um, last week's show or you weren't present for it I highly encourage you to go back and listen to um, Alan Davey who has a book walking the line. And this opportunity that he talks about is forging a personal connection with the Bible and understanding how the word of God applies to our everyday life, right? Not just having it as being some book there, there's some, you know, good ideas, but you can't use, but he actually goes through and shows us how we can use these techniques to really live in this space of peace, nothing missing, nothing broken, totality. Right. So that was a great interview. And I hope you'll go back and listen to that. And then secondly, we had Adora Winquist. Now, she is a modern chemist. If you are a regular follower of the show, you know, this is her second time with us. And yes, she will be back for a third time. I've already got emails. Um, we, We closed out the show. Last week with her talking about a new book that she's um, written, and so um, she's going to be back to talk about that, but last week she talked about small changes in your workplace can create massive momentum in your life and in your business. And many of us are working from home or if you're still going into the office part-time or full-time, making some small changes. You'd be amazed how it will increase your productivity, um, calm and soothe you. So, Please avail yourself to those two amazing interviews, and you can do so by um, subscribing to the Dr. Drayvon James Everyday Peace podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play and Stitcher, or you can listen to them on the unityonlineradio.org. And, of course, as always, I highly encourage you to visit the new and improved drdravonjames.com website where you are going to find wonderful words of wisdom and encouragement. You're going to find um, courses there that are designed to help you improve your self-esteem, your self-confidence, amongst a whole host of other things. And, yes, those of you who are inquiring about our um, our coaching program you can find out all you need to know there as well you can also contact me there on, on that site there so Wonderful way to stay connected as an everyday peacemaker. I encourage you to visit the site often as we're bringing up new opportunities, new information and new encouragement just to support us as everyday peacemakers. So please bookmark that site and visit often. Again, that website is drdravonjames.com. Now, as you know, our theme for 2022 is it's time to improve my life. My goodness, I hope you are just jazzed and excited about that. It's time to improve my life. And so, our everyday peace message for today is talking about that intentional impact. Having an intentional impact. What is the legacy that you are going to leave on the world? What is the gift that you've come to give to the world? And This is, of course, Women's Month. We're celebrating Women's Month. I'm super excited to be um, able to talk about the legacy and the shoulders that I get to stand on. And so uh, one uh, huge hero in my life, of course, is my mom. That's a personal legacy. But there are other heroes as well. Women who have done amazing things you know, that have allowed me to be on the show talking to you and all the other things they were able to do. Intentional. Impact, making the decision to live in their space of great of greatness. Not always an easy decision to make, but a necessary decision to make, so that they can pave the way for the next generation. Just like them, you and I, men and women, all of us, have an opportunity to daily decide what is the impact, what is the legacy. That I'm going to leave today. Usually we think about legacy, we think about, oh, I'm going to be long gone and people will remember me as this. But did you know that right now, in this very moment, you have the opportunity to impact someone's life for the positive? A simple smile, you know, being grateful expressing your gratitude simple ways deciding to be positive deciding to to deciding here's a big one that i absolutely love deciding to see the similarities in people intentional impact will make all of the difference in your life deciding how you want to approach every day will make a difference in how fast you achieve that improvement that you're looking for, whether it's in your health, your wealth, or your relationships. So, that is our everyday peace moment. We got a fabulous show today. We have some amazing guests. Our first guest that is joining us today is Julie Fitzgerald, who has, we we're talking about a journey to joy and centering. And she's written an amazing book, Faith to Rise A Journey to Joy and Centering. Julie is a journalist, an author, and speaking and speaker living in small town, Ontario, Canada, with her husband and two teenage sons. She's working in both faith-based and secular spheres. Julie is passionate about shining a light on stories of hope and inspiration. I love it. Welcome to the show, Julie.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Oh, I'm so thrilled to have you here. And I was telling you before we came on the show, one of the things that really attracted me to you is um journaling. I believe so heavily in journaling, so I know we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But just um, tell us about your 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 book and you know, what brought you to uh, wanting to do the work that you do.
2: Yeah, so this book came out in December, and it's uh, 52 weekly devotionals for everyday life. Um, so each week there's a new theme for people to read and just kind of connect with the Word of God um, and journey on their own path. So it talks about things like hard seasons, grief, friendship, adventure, forgiveness, um, and it's just really a journey for um the reader to to just kind of consider how god's word uh impacts them each day and impacts their life and um, it actually came about during the pandemic in november of 2020 i was given the opportunity to write and record some radio devotionals and by the time we got to 52 of these weekly radio devotionals i asked my publisher if we could put this in a book and here we are Oh,
0: I love, I love the fact that it was born out of COVID because so often we think about COVID and we, we have this, you know, dreadful memory of this thing's gone wrong. And definitely there were some unwanted things that happened, but out of that event, something beautiful, some beautiful things were born too. And I think this book happens to be one of them, you know, um, yeah. really That's understanding.
2: Exactly right.
0: Yeah. It's it's a, it's amazing how how that happens if we allow it to happen. So it's 52 weekly themes that explore um, us having a deeper, more I think practical that comes to my mind relationship with our with God, right? And being able to do that daily is so. What is the importance of a daily practice that you find? Um, why why is that so important for people to be able to have? A peaceful and successful life.
2: I think, especially during the pandemic, um, we realized that we needed daily practices to kind of help bolster us and give us that fresh perspective and give us the hope and optimism that was kind of hard to find during that time. Um, So I think daily practices became really important and for me, um, I was looking at how can I um, find a way to decrease my stress levels because I was at home in Canada here where I am in Ontario. We had a lot of lockdowns. Our kids were doing school from home a lot, um, so we were all in one house. and the daily practices that were really life-giving to me were going out and walking and connecting with nature. Um, Just being in God's creation like that um, really had a way of grounding me and rooting me in the fact that, you know, this is God's creation and I'm a part of something much bigger. Um, So nature and walks were huge. So was prayer and meditation time, which I would do first thing in the morning before everybody else got up in my house just to, ground me. Um, But the third thing that I really found impactful was journaling. And that was a way that I could get all of my thoughts that were kind of looping in my head out onto the page. And it gave me so much greater clarity and perspective on uh, different situations that were going on in my life that I found it to be a really amazing force. Um, each day. So that was something that I had to make sure I put in my new book, Faith to Rise. So after every devotional, there are writing prompts um, so that people can journal and just connect with the concept on a deeper level.
0: Yeah, I, lo- I have been a journaler journaling <laughs> since I was in high school. And I got to tell you, there have been times in my life, um, especially diff- really, really difficult times, where I have found it difficult to harness what i was feeling to be able to put it on paper and now as a life coach i run into lots of people um that say hey i I can't even get started because my my brain is so overwhelmed my emotions feel so overwhelming how do you how how can you help people what do you suggest that they do just to get started to be able to stabilize themselves uh long enough to be able to put a sentence together on a piece of paper
2: Yes, I love this question so much because the answer is called free writing. And this is a form of journaling that takes away any kind of pressure to write something good or something that sounds great. So free writing is a form of journaling where you just put your pen to the paper and you just start writing anything and everything that's on your mind. It could be something really trivial or ridiculous or have nothing to do with what you're actually upset about, but you just continue to write without critiquing, without editing. Um, And as we do that, it starts to free up our mind. These things that are kind of taking up our brain power are just thrown out onto the page in no particular order. It doesn't have to sound good. Nobody's going to read it. But as we do it, all of a sudden our thoughts start to coalesce. We start to just really get greater perspective, greater clarity, and often when we're journaling and meditating on the Word of God, it's an opportunity for God to really speak into our lives, and sometimes we'll discover there's an answer there on the page when we're finished. So I think free writing is absolutely the way to go.
0: Oh, I love that. I use something similar, too. That's so interesting. I always tell my clients is to start by just um, paying attention to the five senses and just, you know, I see this, I, I smell that, I feel the, you know, and then all of a sudden, when I think exactly what you're saying. I love that term, free writing. What happens is that you free up your mind and you, you create space and then you can hear from God, right, because you're yeah. no longer trying so hard.
2: Right? That's right. You, just, you take the pressure off of yourself.
0: Yeah, it's soothing too. It takes away that uh, that that stress response. Like you're not, you not feel like you have to perform anymore, right? And, it's, and I think also something that you mentioned is so very important. This is your journal. This is your private space. So it doesn't have to be you know poetic, really written or you know spell checked or anything of that nature. It just really needs to flow. You know. Yes. I, Yeah. And probably um, like you or, you know, maybe you're like me. I go back and I read some of my journal entries from many, many years ago. And I tell you, there's so much emotion in that page, even if words are misspelled or handwriting is horrible. It it still comes across. I still I still I can go back and say, gosh, I remember I remember this day. I remember how, how I felt on this day. And what's even more amazing is that I'm able to know in that moment. That God brought me through that. I remember feeling that. I remember being fearful about that. And here I could be maybe ten years later reading about it. And the emotions come back. But the the thought that resonates with me is that, yeah, and just like he that was done, this will be done too. I may not have gotten the answer that I thought I wanted, but I got right. an answer that was something that I could learn and grow and build from. So I think this journaling is really, really important
2: yes i totally agree and i can relate to that as well just like looking back on journaling from the past you do see god's faithfulness in it and you also see how sometimes you thought a plan should go a certain way but god had much bigger plans that you didn't know about then right so it's really nice to reflect on that and just you know praise god for the big plans that he does have for our lives
0: yes yes oh my gosh um knowing that you know here you were being a small thinker right and you (laughs) and all of a sudden you you look and i think this is so important you know we're talking about i opened up talking about having an um, intentional impact on the world and i think through journaling helps you to do that too it helps you to give you more clarity on how you want to show up in the world you can go back and read things and say oh my gosh you know this is being done and that's being done in my life and just because I, it doesn't show up exactly the way that I want it to show up is more proof positive that there is a Lord and, God, Lord and Savior who loves us so very much. Mm-hmm. And to even and come and see about those small, small issues that, you know, that are in our lives. that sometimes seem very big at yeah. the time, but you go back. <laughs> right. you, know, you go back That's and look right. at it 10 years later, you're like,
2: what? <laughs> yeah. And you know what I loved in the opening, you talked about developing our unique gifts and how everybody's created for a purpose. And I believe that so strongly, and it's one of the weekly devotionals in my book, is on our unique giftings. And... Um, I really believe each one of us is created for a purpose. We have our own unique gifts and talents, which are unlike anybody else's. And it's up to us to figure out what those are and develop them and share them with the people around us. And journaling is actually a way of figuring out what some of those giftings could be. As you kind of ask yourself the question, like, what is it that I love to do? Or what dream have I had in my heart since I was a kid? You can start to kind of see it materialize. And sometimes as you're journaling, you figure out what maybe a first step could be or a next step could be on your journey to realizing that. So journaling's a great way of, uh, you know, helping us on our paths to realize our dreams.
0: Yeah, I love how you just said that you, you get to discover, you know, what it is your gift is, because so often that's another thing that I'm sure you probably have found that as you talk with people, I know I definitely have, is that people will say, you know, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what I'm passionate about. I don't know what I've come to, you know, what my service is for the world. You know, and in, in quite uh, commonly, people will say, I don't know what my purpose is. hmm Right. But journaling, journaling is a is a a journey inward, even if it starts yeah. with an outside. You know, you could write about how frustrated you are about something that happened at work or something that's going on with the children. And you start and you may start with that. I don't know if you find this to be true. But I know in my life in my journaling, it has happened this way quite frequently, is that I'll start off writing about something that's frustrating or disappointing That's happening externally. But through that releasing on paper, by the end of that journal entry, I'm focused inwardly.
2: Yeah, we can just gain so much perspective and clarity um, from the act of journaling. And I think a weight is also lifted off of our shoulders when we do it because we carry so much around in our head, don't we? Um, Like all day, things are kind of piling up and we start to go over them, especially if you're kind of an inward thinker, you might have it on a bit of a loop. So journaling lets us just get it out and lift it off of our shoulders and gain that perspective for sure.
0: Oh, and you said something, we have it on a loop. That does happen. So, you know, that ruminating part of ourselves. do you find that journaling does help to to minimize that rumination? Because people do that a lot. They just ruminate on things.
2: Yeah, for me, I do find that. Um, I also host online journaling retreats. um, And I've noticed that in the groups of women who do these retreats with me, that they just feel so much lighter afterwards, that they have been able to pour everything out on the page that's been taking up their time and their brain power. And uh, they just feel so much lighter and refreshed afterwards. Um, but I think, too, like we can do these different kinds of journaling. Like sometimes we might be in a tough spot and our journaling is more like a lament we're lamenting what's going on. But other times, it's really good to do, like, gratitude journaling and just kind of evening it out a bit and just reminding yourself of the blessings in your life, reminding yourself of, you know, all the things that you can be grateful for. So I think it's important to really focus on um, both sides of those kinds of journaling.
0: Yes, I think so too. And as you were saying that I was thinking about your your 52-week journal, give us the name of the book and where people can purchase it from. Again, I got a question about that.
2: (laughs) Yes. So it's Faith to Rise, A Journey to Joy and Centering, and it's available on Amazon. Um, So there is the devotional book, but then there's a companion journal as well. So there are two separate listings on Amazon, both called Faith to Rise by Julie Fitzgerald. um, And they're also available from the publisher at roar-group.com.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful. And uh, when you were you were mentioning that, um, I was thinking to myself that doing this process of journaling is, you know, this opening up process. You get to discover like more parts of yourself, right? It, and it's almost like. As you're writing, you're almost like a flower opening up because so often we don't know the innermost intimate things about ourselves. We know that about other people, and we hope that other people know it about ourse- about us, but we really don't know. We don't know um, what's what's behind the the why, what's behind the emotion. And I think journaling sort of eases us into that uh, deep, deeper awareness with self.
2: Yeah, it's really an amazing way to reflect. And I like how you said that about a flower opening up. Um, Often in the journaling retreats that I host, people are really surprised by what comes out in their journaling. And they're surprised and they're excited about it because it's something that they didn't realize was in them. Um, It might be a goal that they have or a dream. It might be a resolution to something that they've been kind of wrestling with. so I think as we journal, we reflect, and we do go inwards, and we learn about ourselves. And it's also a time for um, for God to just pour into us what He wants us to understand. So when we're journaling um, in a spiritual way, when we're reflecting on God's Word and what that means in our everyday lives, uh, we can really discover uh, things that we had no idea that were within us, and it's very exciting to see that happen.
0: Yeah, it is very exciting. It, it it you know it's most I think it's exciting and rewarding, right, to get to know ourselves the way that we yeah. wish, you know, someone else knew us, right? You know, I, I you know I find that so often I'll talk to people and they wish that their spice, spouse knew them more intimately or that you know a parent really knew them and you find that through journaling, you find that you're so amazed at how how multifaceted you are as an individual and how deep and how much depth there is to you when you start to journal so very very awesome um way to understand your purpose and get to know yourself better and your 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 journal your book helps people to get started because that's one of the things that people really struggle with with everything in life it's just the getting started of it right yes
2: oh yeah absolutely so the journal provides writing prompts after each devotional. So you don't have to sit there and try to figure out what should I write about. So the prompt is there and you can just set a timer and just start that free writing process, put pen to paper. And uh, yeah, it's a a really, um, it can be very transformative for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, what are some of the, obstacles if any that you hear people saying you know as they're trying to get started because I mean you've laid it out you've got the journal entries there you've you know it's a yeah. uh, it's 52 week devotional so you got so you even break out how often you're doing it. but are you are you still hearing any op- um opposition people saying you know I just can't I just can't journal I just can't
2: well I think the biggest thing that I hear really the only obstacle that I hear is finding the time to set aside to do it so it's, once the time is set aside, people seem to be able to do it quite easily and really make that connection that they're looking for and gain that reflection. Um, but getting started and setting that time aside is probably the biggest hurdle, and it really is just a matter of, like, blocking off, you know, half an hour or 20 minutes, maybe even 15 minutes, depending on how busy you are, but blocking off some time and being intentional about uh, doing it sitting down
0: and getting started. Oh, I love it. You just said being intentional and that's what it really takes is that to make it to make to make a time and I was going to say you don't have to be rigid with it. You could just say okay, I'm going to set aside 15 minutes today and it doesn't have to be the same 15 minutes every day, but giving yourself 15 minutes of you could think of this as part of I know I certainly do as your self-love time. This is oh, part of I your I love that. Yes. right yes. isn't that something like this you put this on your calendar and this is your date with you yeah right this and, is that you
2: know, self care is one of the chapters in this book and uh in one of my journaling retreats one of the participants said you know i don't like to think about self care as self care i like to think about it as self compassion and mm-hmm. i just loved the way that she framed it that little bit differently self compassion so you are You know, it's an act of love for yourself to set this time aside and just connect. And you're really valuing who you are and who God created you to be by taking this time to um, reflect and consider his word and really discover who you are. We're
0: going to have to I hear our theme music coming up. We've been listening to... um, it's julie fitzgerald and she's talking about her book faith to rise a journey to joy in centering i hope you'll get the book from amazon julie thank you so much you've been
1: you're listening to unityonlineradio.org the voice of an awakening world
2: Create and build the life of your dreams. Welcome back to Everyday Peace with Dr. Dravon James.
0: Welcome back. I'm Dr. Dravon James. This is Everyday Peace. I am super excited to introduce you to our next guest, Dr. David Wilcox. We're talking about surviving the American health care system. Oh, my goodness. I got to tell you, I was telling David before we came on, 32 years in healthcare, and this topic excites me and scares me. <laughs> so um, I'll tell you a little bit about David before we jump into this exciting topic: surviving the American healthcare system. Um, Dr. David Wilcox has nearly three decades of healthcare experience as a bedside nurse, hospital administrator. Dr. Wilcox is an Amazon International best-selling author who believes proactive patient education enables those accessing the healthcare system to be better partners. I got to say that again, better partners in their health care. He also believes that everyone has the right to access the American health care system safely. His, his new book is How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Health System, a Patient's Handbook for Survival. Welcome to the show, Dr. David Wilcox. I'm excited to have you.
1: Thank you, Dr. James. I'm excited to be here.
0: This is a timely topic. I, I suppose it's always timely, though. You know, having been, you know, you and I have been in this over 30 years, there's never a bad time to talk about how to um, exercise your rights, how to know the thing, how to find out information that you may not even think that you need to know. But being a partner in your healthcare journey is so essential it is part of the healing process to navigate things safely and efficiently so i really want to get started there's a lot of stuff to talk about here we're not going to be able to get everything in so for our listeners i really encourage you the book is how to avoid being a victim of the american health system a patient's handbook for survival if you're not having to use the healthcare system Hooray for you, but if you know somebody who is, this is a great book for them, and uh, let's just get started. How does a regular layperson stay safe when accessing the American healthcare system?
1: Well, you know, um, Dr. James, God takes care of our souls, right, but gives us some responsibility around our bodies, so if we can, you know, <laughs> on this earth, we can either um, do good for others or, you know, some people get addicted to alcohol, but there is responsibility for our bodies and so what I tried to do was take what I know from from almost three decades of healthcare, put it into this book to be able to say here are some proactive tips or some things that you can do as an individual to make sure you're getting the best health care possible and as you said being a partner in your health care so not a lot of people know If you go out to cms.gov, that's centers of Medicare and Medicaid.gov, you can find your local hospital and see how it's rated according to five stars. Um, This also affects your hospital's reimbursement. And if you're a a five-star hospital, then you're getting top reimbursement and your patients are pretty satisfied. If you're a two-star hospital, well, that's a different story. Um, So not a lot of people know they can go out and look at their hospital. If you have the luxury of having two or three hospitals in town, you can check them all to see where you would go to have your care given if you had to be in a hospital environment.
0: That's really, really good, especially, you know, finding out for the services that you need in in your, your particular area, whether it's cardiac surgery or you're going for the endocrine, whatever it is, your diabetes, whatever, knowing, oh my gosh, this is this, they, they're 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 rating very well in this area here. So that's that's important to know. I know for everybody there. So um, let's talk a little bit about price. And then, and I happen I'm interested in this. I happen to have a neighbor who's kind of going through this here. Um, got a little sticker shock, even with their uh, insurance and spent some time in you know, during COVID in the hospital and talked about why is there a little to no price transparency in health
1: care? Yeah, that's, um, well, healthcare is complex, and it's complex for a reason. It's not an accident. It's set up that way by the entities who are buying for your healthcare dollars. And in this case, what you're speaking of is price transparency at the hospital level. So the insurance companies work uh, with a very small network of providers. So they don't always publish who they work with. So it's a for you as a consumer, it's very hard to understand, is this person in network or out of network? And that led to um, the No Surprise Billing Act that took place on January 1st of this year because there were many people who would do all their research and find out their their surgeon was in network, their hospital was in network, and then an anesthesiologist would come in who was out of network, and I know it happened to somebody personally that I know, uh, and they got a $10,000 bill. So mm-hmm. those... Surprise billings and things like that are now starting to be regulated. But you know, at the same time, back in January first of 2021, they also put into place a healthcare transparency executive order, and um, by the president of the United States at the time. And that order said that healthcare entities had to publish certain procedures out in layperson's terms on their website. And so you could shop for your care. And actually, I noted an example from where I live. I live down towards Charlotte, North Carolina, and a local hospital. I pulled that for a total knee without insurance, and I would need a coding license to be able to figure out what I would actually pay. So the hospitals aren't complying with this. In fact, they just sent a little over 300 letters out to hospitals asking them, to be compliant and threatening them with fines of up to two million dollars a year now and that's new as of January first, before it was one hundred and ten thousand dollars a year, which you know that the hospitals and the insurance companies are like, we'll we'll just pay that. Um, Instead of putting the information out there. But at $2 it changes the game. So back then, we saw 5% of the hospitals being compliant. Now we're seeing 15% of the hospitals. But there's still 85% of the hospitals who are not posting their pricing information as according to that health transparency law. So for them, it's advantageous for you not to know what you're going to pay for your procedure, not, not to know that, like, if you were going to get a total need done in my area, If I went to an ambulatory surgery center, which is like a mini hospital, but you don't stay overnight, it would be about $8,000 if I was paying out of pocket. If I went to the hospital, it would be about $12,000. So if you have a, a high deductible, you want to understand that because you could pay a lot less if you go to an ambulatory surgery center as opposed to a hospital if you're in good shape.
0: Right. And this is so important. And for those listeners who are just joining us, you know, our theme on the Everyday Peace Show for 2022 is it's time to improve my life. And I find it very interesting and and important to know that part of improving our life is probably paramount. The physical life is to be able to know that we have access to great health care, which we do in the United States. It's not perfect health care, but it is great health care. But knowing how to navigate that and knowing how to Come through the process as a partner with your healthcare providers. I think that price is so very important because, as I said, I have a neighbor who's going through this right now, and it is one of the reasons why people delay getting healthcare is because the, the sticker shock of I I paying healthcare insurance and uh, I don't want to be admitted to the hospital because I. I can't afford an eight thousand dollar bill. Or as you said, you know, I've searched really hard to make sure everybody was in network. And lo and behold, the anesthesiologist who I didn't personally select happens to be out of network. And bam, you know, I got this amazing bill that has just sucked almost the life out of our family budget. And so as part of improving our life, it's really important that we understand you know how to partner, how to go forth, and it sounds like there's still some confusion confusion around or lack of transparency around billing
1: yes, and um you make an excellent point, and your listeners should understand that personal bankruptcy fifty eight point five percent of personal bankruptcy is due to health care bills in this country we are paying well we were paying seventeen point Three percent of the GDP up until we really got socked with COVID in healthcare costs, and now we're paying 19.7 percent, which means twenty cents of every dollar that you spend is going towards healthcare. That's a pretty um, significant amount. And when you and you alluded to the healthcare that we have, um, when you study 17 industrialized countries, we're dead last in quality outcomes, but we're paying the most. Uh, most countries are paying about 8.6 of their GDP in healthcare. care. So, um, you know, it's you have to be a partner in your care. I, I know you're in health care and I'm in healthcare, And I am in healthcare care and i can not tell you how many times when I was admitting a patient to the hospital, they had just had utter fear in their eyes because they weren't equipped. They didn't proactively study what they should do in a hospital to be safe. They were at the mercy of the clinical team. They were wearing a gown that exposed their back end. I mean, that's a little bit degrading, and they didn't have control over what they were gonna eat or when they were gonna eat. Um, everything was just kind of snatched away from when they were dependent on the clinicians and the people around them. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because I want people to be able to say, oh, if I'm in a hospital setting, I know that Medicaid, if I'm gonna get hurt or something's gonna to happen to me, it's going to center around medications. So at you being a partner in your healthcare, what is the best way to proactively mitigate that risk is to ask the nurse when they come in Hey, I don't, I don't know what this pill is for. It's not, doesn't look like what I usually take at home. Um, Can you explain it to me? And the nurse will, uh, will tell you, you know, what the pill is and if, and any side effects that are associated with it, hopefully Um, (laughs) that's what they should do. So, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's, It's astounding how many times people will just take whatever's put in front of them and not know. I was talking to a gentleman who's also a a podcast host, and he told me that he was with his wife who was coming out of surgery, and she was groggy. And the nurse came in to give her her medications and drew up uh, some insulin. and, And he said, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm drawing up your wife's insulin. And he said, my wife is not diabetic. Turns out the nurse had the wrong chart open, was looking at the wrong patient. Um, so, I mean, those things happen. Clinicians don't go to work to do a bad job, but especially in COVID now where we're having this great resignation and clinicians are leaving health care, it's really important to know what you can do as a partner to keep yourself safe because there are more mistakes being made, even though they're not intentional. They are occurring. Um, and sure, we have technology in place to help with that, like barcode scanning of medications. But sometimes people don't follow those procedures and they're busy and they just come in with a bunch of pills and say, hey, you need to take these. So that's, you know, proactively educating yourself on what to do when you get an insurance claim denial or when you go to the pharmacy and the price of your prescription is the same price as your rent and you have to make a decision whether you're going to take your prescription medication or whether you're going to pay your rent. I mean, it's knowing this stuff uh, proactively, how to lower those costs and make sure that you can pay your rent and take your medication is very important. And not enough people do that in the American healthcare system. It's a whole nother world. It's a jungle. I mean, it's just basically a jungle.
0: It really is. And I love the idea of uh, the reminder that you as the patient have an obligation even to ask questions right and i know you just mentioned some things about the healthcare process as a patient that are not only dehumanizing but definitely put you in a position where you feel inferior right you feel that you know how i don't even know the right questions to ask which is why again why i think this book is so essential because it does give you some pointers on what to ask and you know very important is asking oh yeah what's that medication doesn't really look Like I've taken it before, and that helps. That's a nice uh, way to get everybody questioning oh, well, this is that, and this is this, and a great opportunity to get a dialogue going to help minimize the possibility of there being a mix up because things in healthcare, just like any other industry, and maybe like no other industry at the same time, move quickly. There is, you know, if you think about the number of patients versus the number of workers you're right there is everybody comes there wanting to do their best job ever but if there is an opportunity there for for things to go awry and for the patient to partner with the process really ups and increases the chances of things going as desired along the right cost. So uh, yes. like some of the uh, some other questions that that people um, major question and we just hit we hit on medication because I tell people, you know, I've been a pharmacist for over 32 years. I run hospital pharmacies. And um, one of the things that you I always tell our team and everybody in the hospital, there's not a patient in here that pharmacy doesn't touch. That's right. All patients, are, all patients are not going to urology. Everybody in here. <laughs> is getting (laughs) medication in some form or fashion so you just think about that right that's a huge impact across the board and so but even as we talk about so there's a lot a lot of concern around you know what happens with medications as there should be Um, but in retail which i used to own drugstores, there's a lot of um cost questions about cost you know and what's going on with prescription costs so across the board you know why do prescriptions cost so much more in our country then in other countries and you hear people all the time. talking about, oh, I went over to Canada. I went to Mexico. Why is it so expensive here?
1: Yeah, so um, I'll start with a little entertaining story. Uh, I had a, an English setter. She was 16 years old. Her name was Pippi Lou She was a phenomenal dog and my dog started to have some heart problems towards the end of her life so the vet Prescribed Viagra for my dog because not a lot of people know Viagra was actually invented to be a pulmonary antihypertensive or to draw fluid off the lungs drug. And so, once they found out about the side effects, whether of course the costs shot up. Um, so, my wife goes to the pharmacy because it's no insurance, it's a dog, right? We have to get it at the local pharmacy. So, she goes to the pharmacy and it's over $700 for a one month supply. So she says, I'm not going to pay that much. I love my dog, but that's, that's outrageous. So she gets in the car, downloads the GoodRx app, and finds it for $63 just a few blocks away. So if they're selling it for $63 a few blocks away and making a profit, because we know in the pharmaceutical business they're making a profit on the drugs, why are they selling it at $700 just a few blocks away? It makes no sense. You can go into a, a pharmacy and you can find your prescription cost 50 another pharmacy at cost 500 and that's because of the pharmacy benefit managers who sit in the supply chain between the actual providers and the um, pharmaceutical companies and they use coupons and rebates to drive the cost down a lot of times keeping the money that they save um, and you can't talk to them i know i know of an oncologist who ordered a certain chemo drug for a patient and they and came back from the insurance company and said you have to try this other drug first because it's less expensive. And he said, well, no, I'm, I know this person, I know what's going on with them, and this is the drug I've chosen. And I'm, you know, I'm the physician. And uh, they said, no, you can't. The pharmacy benefit manager has determined that that um, that you have to try this drug first, and then if it doesn't work, we'll go on to the other drug. And so he wanted to talk to the person who made the decision, and they they wouldn't let him. They said there's no way you can talk to that person. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes, and that's why I felt it was really value-added to sh- to talk about that in this book and tell people how they can avoid that and what else they can do. Um, it's you know it's just crazy, but not the average person doesn't know that they can do that kind of stuff, that they can download GoodRx. Or um, another good example is Mark Cuban from Shark Tank just started a generic um, online pharmaceutical medication store, basically, where you send your prescriptions in and he's lowering your price because he's not dealing with these pharmacy benefit managers. He is going directly to the manufacturers and he's able to lower the price significantly compared to what you would pay um, with even insurance and a copay. So a lot of people don't know about this stuff, but it's out there and this is the kind of disruption we need in healthcare to drive the costs down and to increase the quality outcomes, quite frankly.
0: Right. So you mentioned quality outcomes a bit ago and uh, mentioned that America was dead last in quality quality outcomes. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Sure. So the payment service, and and we kind of alluded to that around the busy clinicians. But the way that that the hospital and clinicians get paid currently is called fee-for-service. So when you show up to the hospital or the doctor's office, you're actually making them money. Uh, You're bringing in income for them. So we saw this play out in the pandemic where people just weren't going to hospitals because of COVID and we the taxpayers had to bail them out. There is, however, another payment structure that only about 25% of Americans know about and it's called value-based care. And what it is, it's, it's incentivizing a group of physicians called an accountable care organization just a fancy term for a bunch of uh, physicians who get together within a network and say, Hey, we will accept Dr. James's capitated amount from the insurance company. And then we will work with her to keep her healthy so that she doesn't need to access the emergency department or have any kind of unnecessary tests. And this in and of itself during the time of COVID saved $4.1 $4.1 billion. We didn't have to bail people out that were using value-based care because they were getting the amount whether the patient showed up or not. Their charge was to keep the patient healthy and keep the patient out of the hospital, and, and then they can keep the additional profits on top of that certain amount that they get to manage your care. That is huge in the American healthcare care system, and I think that's the only way we're going to decrease the costs of health care. Um So that we're not spending twenty cents every dollar on it
0: oh, so that's a bit of being proactive, right, and I think we're um I think I read somewhere years ago that we were great at emergency care, but this sort of being proactive in this maintenance care, not so much right uh, yeah and, exactly. And I I could see that you know that we, are, we 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 you have a heart attack you have a stroke this is the place to be we got you we're gonna take care of that really quickly for you but this maintenance and making sure that we are uh, getting in there and developing these um, lifestyle changes and all of this stuff uh, I I can't remember when I started in healthcare a lot of that stuff wasn't even reimbursable
1: right yeah they don't yeah and they don't really teach the physicians that that's called preventative care. So Mm -hmm. you're you're right. We're very good at, um, you know, if you come to us with an emergency, we're going to take care of you. But we don't send you out the door teaching you how not to come back as an emergency again. Um, So because, you know, quite frankly, under fee for service, I'm incentivized if I'm a doctor to be able to see as many patients as I can. That's how I get paid. So I can't spend 20 minutes with each patient. I might be able to spend five and then turn them over to the nurse um, to take care of them. Or maybe the pharmacist comes up to give them some um prescription advice and and you know other people do the teaching because that's the way we're set up and value-based care that's not the way it's set up they can spend time with the patients they can talk to the patients about their lifestyle um, you know i remember back in in the old days where my grandparents told me the doctor used to come to their house but Let, let's explore that for a second so the doctor comes to your house the doctor looks around that they ask, hey, can I look into your cupboards? They kind of see the foods that you're eating. Uh, maybe you're, you don't have food. Maybe you have food insecurity issues. Or maybe you're eating an unhealthy diet that's uh, rich in fats and carbohydrates. The doctor has a chance to do some teaching with you because they can see your environment. Because, you know, healthcare, getting treated in healthcare is only about 20% of it. The other 40% is your zip code, where do you live? And the other 40% are what kind of healthy behaviors um are you practicing or not practicing so it be, it becomes all encompassing to be able to drive down costs you have to keep people healthy and um and value based care is one of those mechanisms that we have in this country that will help us do that
0: Right. So we'll hope, hopefully we'll see that being on the rise, the value-based care. And that sort of is kind of leads me to my next question is, what does a better health care system look like?
1: Yeah, a better, better health care system is one that's based on proactively keeping you healthy, um, as we talked about with value-based care. But it's also you keeping yourself healthy. So there's a chapter in my book where I touch on how to be your best you where the micro choices that you make every day lead to the macro of your health care. So if you're going to lunch, let's say, and you decide you're gonna stop at Wendy's and eat a hamburger, or maybe you're going to go to Whole Foods and, and get a salad. So getting a salad, of course, is a better choice nutritionally for your body um, than the hamburger would be. And so you know, you, it's these little choices that you make around your health care that you may not even be aware you're making. Um, I, you know, in our, in my career, I've seen people who just say, you know, I'm, I got sick, I went to the hospital, they fixed me up. So now, you know, I'm going to continue my current lifestyle. And if I get sick again, I'll go to the hospital and they'll fix me up. That's not really being a partner in your care. That's um, giving your care over to the doctors and nurses to take care of you when you kind of blow it with diet and exercise. <laughs> so, you know, there's, a, there's different aspects of it. But Having a better care system involves having those metrics around those uh, around social determinants of care or where people are living, because that, again, factors into their health care and being able to address food insecurity issues. Or maybe you want to get to the doctor, but you have a transportation issue. We're seeing a lot of things done with Uber and Lyft with healthcare care systems to get patients in to actually see physicians. Um, and then there's telehealth, right? Telehealth is great. If you live in a um, metropolitan area but as you get further out where there isn't as much broadband access it becomes a luxury to be able to have a telehealth appointment uh, so it's it's all those things being addressed which i cover in the third part of the book what i what i'm seeing happen in those situations how i'm even seeing insurance companies interplay with that uh, because they're taking medicaid populations at risk and so what they're doing is they're getting they've got a capitated amount coming from the state. And so they have to figure out how to keep these guys healthy and out of the emergency room and things like that. So I think that that movement in and of itself is the only way we're going to drive down health care costs and increase quality outcomes.
0: Oh, and you know what? Everything that you have said here, I hope our listeners are really Cued into this because you can have a positive outcome in the healthcare system, but you do need to partner with it. Our guest today, David Wilcox, has written an amazing book that I really encourage everyone to get. It is How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System: A Patient's Handbook for Survival. David, where can we pick up this book?
1: You can get this book on Amazon. I also have a website that is dr drdavidwilcox.com so that's drdavidwilcox at 1l.com where you can actually subscribe and um when i send out my newsletter you'll get a copy of that just to keep abreast cuz healthcare is changing and it's changing rapidly there's all kinds of legislation that comes out. There's, you know, what do you as a patient We're do? We're just
0: about yeah. out of time. We're going to hear our theme music. Uh, this is Dr. Dravon James. This is Everyday Peace. You've been informed today. We've had amazing guests today. I want you to know that I see you as your healthy, most productive self. Pick up those journaling. Pick up this book. I can't wait to meet with you next week. This is Everyday Peace. Until next time, be peaceful.
1: Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world on my podcast you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast
2: network